after Jesus in the last and the final hours with the disciples. Uh, they are no longer at the Last Supper. They have left the building. Now they are probably on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, Jesus has been teaching his disciples and he is continuing to teach them in the, in the verses that we are in today. And I would like to read these verses before we dive into anything because I've got a few words in these verses that I want to highlight today. So starting in chapter 15, starting with verse 12 through verse 17, and Jesus says to the disciples, and he says this, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in my Father's name, he may give to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another." All right, now here's the words that I want to highlight today. I want to pick out of here. In verse 12, he says, this is my commandment. In verse 15, he says, I don't call you, no longer do I call you servants. In verse 15, again, he says, I have called you friends. In verse 15, again, he says, I have made known to you. In verse 16, he says, I chose you. I appointed you. And in verse 17, he says again, I command you. Pop quiz, anybody want to take it? Come on, y'all. Okay, Pam. Pam's going to try it. All those kind of phrases, all those words that I said. Why did I highlight those? What about those words stand out? What's significant about all those words? Okay, what is it about Jesus that he can command us? God, yes. Bingo! I was hoping somebody would be like, Pam, read the title of the message. That's all you got to do, read the title. That's all you got to do is that just read the title of the message, and that's the answer right there. I know. People are scared. They're like, I am not raising my hands. Well, thank you, Pam, for stepping out. There you go. But that's where this is. This is where we're headed. Jesus commands. He's like, I am doing this. I appoint you. I chose you. I command you. And the reason he can say that is because he is Lord and King. Now, here's the problem with those two words, Lord and King is that the reality of us as Americans, we don't get them. We get them in theory. We get them in, you know, well, dictionary says this about them. But we don't understand as an American what it truly means to be ruled by a king. All right? Here in America, we're, we're used, to, we live in a republic. We're, we're used to, hey, we get our say in things. We um, get to vote about things. We get freedoms. We, we live in a democracy. And the reality is we do not live under the rule of an autocratic king. 
This is the democracy. Now I know, well, it's not really a democracy. Yes, it is. All right? We live in a democracy, not an autocracy. Because the reality is, even Britain, okay? Sure, they, they, they lived under the rule of, of Queen Elizabeth for decades, and now King Charles. But the reality is, Queen Elizabeth and now King Charles are not autocratic. They are still... They still have a parliament that they have to abide by, okay? An autocratic king was God. What he said ruled. An autocratic king, for centuries, most nations were ruled by an autocratic king. And that king, his word was law. What he said went. His servants... If he gave a commandment, did they have an option? No. As a servant, if the king ordered you, commanded you, you did it. Okay? There, it, 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 you did not speak ill will against the king or said anything negative about the king in public. Because if someone overheard you and turned you in, you could be arrested, imprisoned, or put to death. And there was no jury of your peers. It was that quick. There was no, if the king ordered people to show up in his presence, there was no calling it in going, well, you know, king, me and the fam are hitting the beach this weekend. Can't be there. If you didn't show up when the king ordered you to show up, you would be arrested, put in prison. See, that was the power of an autocratic king. Kingship. Being the king was reality. We don't get that. Not even close. We, we have a constitution. Okay? The constitution protects and puts people in and checks and balances. We have a president. We have governmental leaders. But the reality is, if the president of the United States called you... Or sent you a letter and said, by order of the president, um, you are to come to the White House. It's an honor, but do you truly have to go to the White House? No. You can say, that. Ah, don't want to. Okay? We can speak against our president. We can hang verbal, verbally offensive flags toward our president. We can post things online degrading our president. We can speak in public and degrade our president all day long. Nobody's being arrested because he's not an autocratic ruler. His word is not law. And I wonder if we as Americans, because of our freedoms, our democracy, because of what you and I can do living in this country, does it hinder our spiritual view of Jesus? Does it cripple our view and understanding that Jesus is Lord and King? Lord meaning master of everything. And King, ruler of everyone. Because think about it for a moment. 
Let's just be real. How many, and, and you may not verbally out loud say this, but how many of us in our minds think that I'm on the same playing field as Jesus? That Jesus really is, you know, he and I are, he, we're pretty much equals in, in a lot of things. He's my best bud. How many of us think that Jesus needs to come down and do what I say? We pray. We give Jesus ultimatums. Jesus, if you don't do this for me, well, I may just walk away. The reality is, I believe that for a lot of Christians, we don't see Jesus as the Lord and King. But the Bible paints him as that picture. The Bible throughout paints Jesus both as Lord and King. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. In the book of Philippians, I just, I just read this this morning. Philippians chapter 2 says that when Jesus ascended back into heaven, he was given the name above every name. There is no name equal to Jesus. And that every person will bow at the name of Jesus. That's who Jesus is. He's Lord and he's king. Nobody walks into the, the, the presence of a king and says, hey, king, I want to give you, um, a, 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 I, I want to give you my opinion. I, I want to give you a piece of my mind. Nobody walks into the presence of an autocratic king. Nobody walks into the presence of the king and says, hey, here's how it's going to be. Never. A person walks into the presence of a king with great humility. If a person is wearing a hat, that person will take it off and hold it before them, and they will bow like this, talking to the king. But yet we as Christians, we get so flippant with Jesus. When was the last time that we just humbled ourselves before Jesus and when you are God and you are king? He is Lord, and he is king. And then here's what's sad about a lot. A lot of Christians, in fact, will get bent out of shape if you preach a message. And trust me, I've preached messages like this, and I've had people not in this church say things to me about this. People get bent out of shape about the idea that Jesus commands people. They're like, nah, nah, not Jesus of the New Testament. Nah, that's not Jesus. He's about love and grace and mercy. Yes, he is. Let me read again. Jesus says in verse 12, this is my commandment. Is he commanding? Yes or no? Again, look at verse 17. These things I, what? Command you. He's able to command, not because he is on our, on our level. He's able to command, not because he's just this, hey, goody, goody, best. No, he commands because he is Lord and King. And we've got to remember as Americans that he is Lord and and king, and even though we don't understand what it means to, to be ruled by a king, we are ruled by a king, and his name is Jesus.
And so in this text today, I want to look at three things about Jesus being Lord and King and what it means. So here's the first thing about Jesus being Lord and King, and it's this. He commands us to love and sacrifice for each other. He does command us to love and sacrifice for each other. So again, there in verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17, this is my, this is, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Now, hopefully, when you read verse, thir- verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Um, does that sound at all familiar? I hope you're shaking your head going, then haven't we already like, studied this and read this? Yes, we have. Because if you look at chapter 13, If you just flip back a page, chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now, this isn't like weeks later. This is like moments later. He's already told them, hey, here's a new commandment, guys. Love one another as I have loved you, so you will love one another. And then just down the road, a few minutes, he's like, oh, by the way, um, here's a, I command you, uh, love one another as I have loved you. Now, let me ask you, if you were having a conversation with someone and they start repeating themselves within a short period of time, what do you start thinking? Dude, you got a memory problem because you just told me that and now you're telling me again You need to go see a doctor because you've got memory issues. All in favor, Jesus does not have memory issues. He has men issues. Jesus has people issues. And here's why. Jesus is repeating himself, just like the Bible does, repeats itself because Jesus knew these guys. Jesus knew what they were really like. He knew the heart of these men. He didn't just go by what they, how many know Jesus doesn't just follow what you say. He knows the heart of you and he knows the heart of these men. Okay, because you got to remember when these disciples were with Jesus over the past um, three years, how many of you remember how many times they fought for position? They were always trying to, to push one another out. They were, you know, you had this guy going, I'm greater than you. And you're like, oh, shut up. You are not. I'm better than you. Jesus loves me more than you. I'm the special guy. Man, I'm gonna, they, were, they, were by, they were always vying for position, special privileges with Jesus. You know, you have a couple of disciples like taking Jesus to the side going, hey, can we sit next to you in your kingdom? I mean, these guys, these guys were horrible. But aren't we the same? You see, Jesus, is, he, he knew these guys So he's going to remind them again, guys, you need to love one another. And he's telling them this because he's going to be gone in a little bit. He's passing the baton to these guys. Jesus, how many know Jesus already knows the plan? Jesus knows what cards are about to fall. Jesus knows I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise and and rise from the dead. I'm going to send back to heaven, but I'm going to send the helper. Holy Spirit's going to come, and these guys don't get it yet. They're still kind of oblivious to all of what's happening. But Jesus knows, guys, you're going to become the church. You're going to start a revolution. You're going to start something that's going to explode. And guess what you've got to do? You've got to love one another. 
Because if you keep bickering, you keep fighting, you keep vying for position, you keep knocking each other down, you keep just looking out for self, you keep being just about you, the world's going to see it. And they will reject your message. They will reject who you are. They will reject you as my apostles. They will reject this whole church thing. The world will know it by how you love one another. And they will know you are my disciples. So guys, I'm going to tell you again. Here's my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. So how did Jesus love them? Well, verse 13 tells us. Verse 13 is the premise of this whole loving one another as he has loved them. Look up verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's how Jesus is loving these guys. Jesus is saying, listen, guys, you may not get this yet. You may not see the whole picture yet. In fact, they're not even, they don't get this whole reality that Jesus is about to die. And Jesus is going to be gone. They don't get the fact that Jesus is doing this for them because they're sinners. He, they don't understand. I mean, they don't even get their own sin, more or less the entire world's sin. And Jesus is saying, listen, guys, the greatest love for someone is sacrificing self for them. And Jesus is like, I'm going to sacrifice myself for you. And the idea is, is that Jesus, just like when he washed their feet, he says, I'm doing this as an example for you. It's no different here. Jesus is like, I'm laying myself down for you. I'm going to sacrifice self for you as a picture, as an example, so you will do what I did and love each other as I have loved you. So Jesus is telling them, guys, you're not going to be able to fight amongst each other anymore. You're not going to be able to be selfish anymore. You're not just going to be able to look out for number uno. Yes, that's right. I said that, number uno. I thought Paul's like, number uno? Number uno. You can't do that anymore. You're going to have to sacrifice yourself for each other. And that may even be lay your life down for one another. But it's sacrificing each other. You can't be selfish, guys. Love each other. Now fast forward to us. Is the message any different? Because the world still sees that they're still watching, aren't they? The world watches the church just as much as it's going to watch them back then. And how do we display the love of Christ? Not by just singing kumbaya. We display the love of Christ by loving each other. So, pop quiz again. Anybody? Takers? Okay, I'm just going to put this out there. Just throw some stuff at me. How do we... Now, remember, when he's talking about loving each other, when he looks at these men and he says, love each other, he's talking about the fact that when the church is going, you're going to have to love each other, and you're going to have to teach the church to love each other. How does that work in practice? How do we love each other? Somebody th throw out some stuff to me. How do, we, how do we know, hey, as a church, we're loving each other? How does that work? Michael? What was that? A servant's heart. We're serving each other. How else do we love each other? Giving time. 
Support. Pray for each other. Forgive each other. Protect each other. Help each other. Praying for each other. You see, that's loving each other. That is the church loving the church. But guess how that happens? Sacrificing self. So again, in order to do all that stuff, how, in order to love one another, what are some things that we may have to sacrifice? Time. Everything. Plans. Money. Reputation. You see, loving each other is not this kind of just aura that floats around us. Loving each other is hands-on with one another. And so there may come times where I may have to cancel a plan to help somebody. I may have to give some money. I may have to sacrifice some time. I, it, there, it, it, now, that doesn't mean that, that you, you can never do anything for self. All right, Let, let's keep some balance in here. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Jesus does not say that you have to sacrifice self and you can never have anything for your own enjoyment. You can never do anything for yourself. It's always about other people. It's not that. But there are times where, let's face it, you get home from work, you're tired, and, and you, you realize, oh, man, that's right. There was, there was supposed to be a group tonight. I, I, do I go or not? Oh, man, it's a Saturday morning. I remember, man, we had... Do you go or not? You wake up in the middle of the night, you just feel God has put someone on your heart. And you're tired, you're like, oh, it's 3.30, and i got to get up in two hours. But I feel like God's telling me to pray for this person. Do you pray or not? You see, there are things that you and I are going to have to sacrifice for each other in order to love each other. And I'm going to be honest, guys, I think, we, I think we're doing great as a church. But it's always my prayer that we always continue to progressively become better as a church. That we continue to progressively grow more like Christ and move more into Christ-likeness. I want us to be a church where everybody in this church... Are we going to be perfect as a church? Absolutely not. But I want us to be a church where you can say, I, I feel love in this church. Two things I want people when they come to this church to feel. Two things primarily. The presence of the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ. The presence of the Holy Spirit is going to happen as we, what we do. We're praying for that. We're, we're trying to sing songs that get us vertical. Man, we're trying to preach the word. We're trying to do things that will cause the Holy Spirit not to sit there and go, man, I, I feel grieved in that place. I, I, we want the Holy Spirit moving in this place. I hope you felt that this morning. That tell you, that, that Agnes Day song, man, if you don't feel the Spirit of God when you're singing that, you better get a heart transplant because that song is powerful and hopefully you, you feel the Holy Spirit. But I'm also saying I pray and I go, God, I pray that when people come here, they feel the love of Christ. And the way you feel the love of Christ is the way we as believers, we take care of one another. And when people visit, they feel the love of Christ because we're loving on them. And so Jesus is commanding us. Because he is Lord and King, that we are to love and we are to sacrifice for each other.
Here's the second thing about Jesus being Lord and King. Friendship with Jesus is elective, responsive, and inclusive. The friendship of Jesus is elective, responsive, and inclusive. First, let's take a look at this idea that the friendship of Jesus is elective. Look at verse 15. He says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Now, we need to see something very important here. He says, No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Notice he does not say, no longer do I say you are servants. He doesn't say they're not servants anymore. He's just calling them different. Now, what do I mean by that? Jesus is moving differently in his relationship with them. A king at any moment can take any servant... He so chooses and take that servant and move them closer in a relationship with him. Yes or no? The king has that authority. If the king wants to be like just far and and detached from everyone, he can so choose. But if he chooses to say, hey, I want you to be my close confidant. I want you to be my partner. I want you to be the one that I can share things with, that I can talk to. That servant is now brought into maybe the inner chamber, brought into the throne room. He's allowed to be part of the king's life in a different way. The king may even address that person differently. He may no longer call him a servant, but now maybe the king finds out, what's your name? He starts calling him by the name. But at any moment, does that servant feel and think he has the right to just show up and go, hey, king, or even, hey, George, how you doing today? No. That king elected to bring that person close, to call that servant maybe a friend. But at no time can that servant ever think, I don't have to act like a servant because they still are a servant. Jesus is telling these men, and as in, in reflection, telling us, I am calling you friends. I'm electing to do that. Now, why is that important to understand? We read that and we're like, oh, I'm a friend of Jesus. We sing a song even. You know, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. But why is that important to get? Why is it important to understand that Jesus elects to call you friend? You notice it doesn't say that they call Jesus friend. Jesus makes a decision and he likes to call them a friend. Why is that important? Because it has to go back to your sinful nature. You always, you can never, ever, never, ever, never, everybody say never. You can never forget your true spiritual nature. You and I, we may be called a friend of Jesus. You and I may already be seated in the heavenly realms. 
You and I get to be loved by God. You and I have a special relationship with God. And that's only because God elected to. Because you and I have a spiritual condition apart from Jesus. Without Christ, you and I have a spiritual condition. And it's called spiritual depravity. To the core of your being, you are not good. To the core of your being, you are a sinner. And because you and I are sinners, our spiritual position before God is not closeness. The reality is my spiritual condition creates a separation between me and God. It creates a chasm between me and God. It creates a, a, a wall between me and God. In fact, it causes us to have enmity with God. The Bible makes it very clear that because of our true spiritual condition, we are actually, the Bible describes it, that we are enemies with God. Colossians chapter 1 verse 21 tells us that before you know Christ as your Savior, you are alienated from God and you are an enemy because you're hostile in, the, in your thinking, hostile in your spiritual condition. You see, apart from Christ, in your true spiritual condition, you're hostile toward God. Because you don't want to obey God. Anybody, I mean, when you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, are you walking around going, oh, yeah, I want to obey God today. I want to follow Jesus. No, who are you following? Yourself. Or as Paul says in Ephesians, the God of this world. Because we all follow our own selfish desires. We all follow what we want to do. And so in our thinking, in our lifestyles, we're hostile toward God. An enemy toward God without Christ. But when we come to know Christ, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, all of the hostility between you and God, gone. Separation between you and God, gone. All hope that was lost before, it's gone. You have absolute hope. The enmity between you and God. Gone. And the reason is, is because in our spiritual state, you and I can't save ourselves. It is God that looked on humanity. And as Jesus tells us in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that we could believe in him and have you. God alone. Do that. And so now Jesus, because of who, because of what he's done for us and our position with him through faith, he elects to say, you know what? I'm not going to call you my servant. You're my friend. So if you know Jesus Christ is your savior, guess what you are? His friend. And he elects to do that. So friendship with Jesus, first and foremost, it's elective. Here's the second thing about Jesus' friendship. It's this. It's responsive. It's elective and it's responsive. Look at verse 14. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Notice he does not say you become my friend if you obey what I command you. Okay? No, he said you can't earn the friendship of Christ just like you can't earn the salvation from Christ. All right. 
Your salvation is a free gift that is electively given by God. God made a, he, he elected to say, I will forgive them. He made the choice. God made the decision. You and I have no part in that thing. We're lost forever because of our sin. God makes the decision to say, I'm going to love these people. I will give a way out of this thing, and I will forgive them. And so guess what? Jesus says, just like you can't earn your salvation, you can't earn my friendship. But... Just like Jesus says in verse 8, as we studied last week, he goes, Help. here's how you know if you have salvation. Here's how you know if you're my disciple. Do you remember what the word was? Prove. Prove it. Show me the proof that you are truly my disciple. And here's how you know you are the disciple of Jesus Christ. What do you bear? Fruit. There's things coming out of you that people look at you and go, Yep, they're a, they're a follower of Jesus Christ. I know it. If you were to say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and people look at you like this, really? I never would have figured that. No, nope, I don't see anything. You've got a problem. It's the fruit in my life that proves that I am a disciple. The fruit doesn't make me a disciple, or it doesn't save me, but it proves that I am. So guess what? Jesus says, if you, you are my friend, show it. Let it reflect out of your life. And the way that happens is what? I do what he says. Perfectly? No. Progressively, yes. I am trying to take the word of God and do what it says. And that shows and reflects I am a friend of Jesus Christ. So it is elective. It is responsive. And then, lastly, it is inclusive. Again, look at verse 15. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. You see, the difference between a servant and a servant who is close to the king is the servant that's not close to the king doesn't know jack squat. He's just told what to do, and he does it. The servant who has been brought close to the king, a little bit different. The king considers this servant a friend. So guess what the king may do? He's like, you're a little bit closer confidant, and the king may divulge some things to this guy. He may divulge some things to this servant that he would never divulge to anybody else. He may say things to this servant that he would never say to another servant. Why? Because the king considers this servant a friend. Jesus is saying, guys, you're my friends, so I'm going to tell you some things about God that no one else knows. I'm going to tell you things about the will of God that no one else knows. And have you ever, you know, we know this from the Bible, but you ever really thought about why a person who is an unbeliever doesn't get what the word of God says? Have you ever really thought about why an unbeliever just doesn't, they're like, they, they read the Bible, they hear something, like, I don't get it. It, I, it makes no sense to me. Here's why. They're not a friend of Jesus. They're still on, they're, they're, they're on the outside. It's not until you come to know Christ and the Holy Spirit lives within you. Guess what the Holy Spirit does? Enlightens the eyes of your heart. So now as a believer in Jesus Christ, you start reading the word of God and you ever have the, I get it. Wow, I see things in there because the Holy Spirit has wakened you up. Now you've become a friend of God and the friend of Christ. So guess what? They're going to share things with you. The 
Spirit's going to reveal things to you in the Word of God that maybe as an unbeliever you never saw before. But when you become a believer, you're like, I read that before and that made no sense. Now I read and I get it. It's like a friend divulging stuff to you. You're included in that. It's now inclusive. You see, the friendship of Jesus, it's elective, it's responsive, it's inclusive. And as a believer in Christ, you have all of that. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a friend of Christ. And then lastly, the last thing about Jesus being Lord and King, and it's this. You are chosen and commissioned by the king. You are chosen and commissioned by the king. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Stop right there. Is there any ambiguity in that statement? Nobody chooses Jesus, okay? The reality is no one is waking up going, I think I want Jesus to be my savior today, just out of the blue. The way you and I become to know Christ as savior is he chooses us. It is Christ that chooses to enlighten your heart to the word of, the, uh, to the word of God. It is the, it, is, it is the king's choice to forgive you. It is the king's choice to make you part of his family. It is the king's choice to call you into his presence. Do any of us deserve anything from the king? Not one thing. We are the sinner, and the king has every right to say, you're not included. He has the right to say to humanity, you all are sinners, you all are separated from me. God didn't have to create any of us. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were three in one and were perfect in every sense. He didn't have to create nothing, but he chose to. God created to say, in the beginning, boom, let there be. And he chose to create human beings so he could have a relationship with them. But even in our, in our depravity, in our sinfulness, God still makes a choice to say, I will love you. I don't get it. I mean, if there's people in your life that, you, that just tick you off, are you sitting there going, I still love them so much. Let's be besties. No, you're like, man, I don't want you around. I don't want you involved in my life. I don't want to be part of your life. In fact, I really don't even want to see that face of yours. And we walk away. Aren't we glad that God doesn't do that for us? God doesn't look at humanity. He doesn't look at you and go, man, you've just ticked me off one too many times. You keep doing the same sin. I'm done. I'm, 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 you're out. I'm so glad that's not God. You see, God chose you. God is the one who chose to forgive you. God is the one who chose to give Christ for humanity so Christ could sacrifice himself for our sin. So that way, as, as, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, that Jesus chose to become sin. God chose to send Jesus to this earth to become sin so you could become the righteousness of God. You see, we don't choose Jesus. We, can't, we, we don't get to say, we don't walk into the king's presence and go, I'm ready, man. Make me, I want to be righteous, God. Make me right with you. No. 
It's God that awakens your heart to the truth of who you are and who Jesus is. And it's you and I that comes to that revelation that realizes I am a sinner. And I need a savior and his name is Jesus. You see, he chooses you. But then notice also in the, in the text, it says, Jesus says, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that that fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father in, Father in my name that he may give you. Now again, that prayer, we've seen that a few times. That prayer is contingent upon the fruit. And the fruit is evidence of maturity. And the more mature you get, the more fruit you bear. And the reality is the more mature you become, the less selfish you become. So your prayers become more of, God, I want your will in my life. God, I want you to work in my life in a way that brings you glory and honor. Those are the kind of prayers that Jesus is like, man, God will show up all day long. It's those, always those selfish prayers. God, I want this for my birthday. And God, I want this for Christmas. And God, I really want this. And I want over here. And God's like, that's not where I'm going with this right now. But when we pray those mature prayers because we're bearing fruit, that changes the picture. But the idea where Jesus is going here, he's like, okay, I've chosen you. You're saved. Now I've appointed you to do something. Because we've always got to remember this. Um, salvation is not a free ride. You don't get saved and go, well, now I can sit my, my, my salvation lazy boy and eat my Cheetos, and then I'm going to go to heaven. That sounds great. It's not it. Jesus is like, I've chosen you. Now I've appointed you, meaning I've commissioned you. And what's he commissioned us to do? It's there in the text. Bear fruit. You are commissioned to bear fruit. As a believer in Jesus Christ, bearing fruit is not an option. You don't get to go, well, you know, I'm saved. I'm good to go. Let other people bear fruit. No. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, if I were to ask each and every one of you by yourself, are you a believer in Christ? Are you a Christian? And you said this one word to me. Yes. Then bear fruit. Because he chose you, you've accepted that. Now accept the commission. I don't want to accept the commission. Then you must not be a real follower of Christ. Because Jesus says, you will prove yourself to be my disciple if you bear fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, no evidence, you better go back and find out and ask yourself if Paul says, examine to see if you're in the faith to begin with. If your life has no fruit to it, I go to church. Well, a lot of people just go to church, but there's no fruit. Evidence of life-changing, saving faith is always fruit. And Jesus says, I've chosen you and I've commissioned you. Bear fruit. Spiritual fruit, and like he says, that lasts. See, worldly fruit, not going to last. Spiritual fruit, the things that build the, the kingdom of God, witnessing, walking with Christ, working for Christ. These are the things, the fruit that bear and last forever. But the things that the world wants us to go after, more money, more things, 
you know, all that stuff, it's going to be gone. And it won't bear very long. Let's bear spiritual fruit. Let's be Jesus' friends. Let's realize Jesus is Lord and King. Why don't we all stand? What did you choose to end with? Yeah, that'll work. Well, I was thinking maybe hallelujah, but no, that, that, that's a good one too. Great are you, Lord. Good choice. Thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Why don't we close in a word of prayer? Jesus, we exalt you. And we thank you, Jesus, that you have paid it all for us. You have chosen us. We haven't chosen you. And Lord Jesus, we want to honor you. You are Lord and King, and the way we honor you is we bear fruit for you. We exalt you. We glorify you. We worship you. We walk with you. We work for you. We witness for you. We bear fruit that will last. And we want to honor you, Lord Jesus. And we would love one another and grow in that. That's, that's more fruit. It's all about you, Lord Jesus, to be exalted above all. And we just worship you. We just praise you. And we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for what you're doing in this church. And we just praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.